Distance balls. Sure, they go far, but do they do anything else? The new ERC Soft does. Callaway completely reinvented the way a distance ball performs. Engineered with a new, fast, hybrid cover and a graphene-infused dual soft-fast core, it's a new kind of distance ball, one that actually feels soft and spins more. And once you're on the green, ERC Soft's triple track technology will help you dial in your alignment. Get Callaway's longest ball with soft feel today at callawaygolf.ca. A brazen mob hit in Quebec has raised concerns of a brewing gangland war. Andrea Scopa was gunned down on a busy street in Montreal as possible revenge for previous killings. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. We talk about the killing with Paul Cherry, crime reporter for the Montreal Gazette and host of our new true crime podcast, The Dark North. The Dark North launches November 4th. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio. The trailer is live now. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get all the action delivered right to your device. So, Paul, who is Andrea Scopa? Andrea Scopa is a, a guy who was born and raised in Montreal brought up in a in a very low income family kind of grew up in a rough part of uh of Montreal called the Park Extension or, or in the northern part of Plateau Montréal in his earlier years as a criminal he his expertise was uh, heroin uh, it's a very risky business to be in if you're caught mm-hmm. with it if you're caught selling it uh sentences are incredibly long because of how uh, how addictive it is it's it's Sentences tend to be much more longer than, let's say, selling cocaine. So even at a young age, he was taking uh, high risks. Um, for some reason, the mafia has always been attracted to uh, to dealing in heroin. Uh, it's probably why he he eventually gravitated towards the Montreal mafia. And he, uh, from an early age, he was recognized... Uh, he was respected, I should say, by uh, the, the leader of the Montreal Mafia, Vito Rizzuto. Uh, in the late 1990s, early 2000s, I was hearing that he was uh, already in like the top 10, let's say, the, among the top 10 people in the, in the Montreal Mafia, despite at, at his time, his very young age. So what was his role recently in organized crime in Montreal? That's a very complex question. The Montreal Mafia has been disorganized, uh, destabilized since uh, roughly 2004, but really after 2009, the year of 2009, Vito Rizzuto was in the U.S. serving a long prison sentence for racketeering. He had uh, pleaded guilty to, he admitted he took part in the murders of three Mafia guys in the U.S. So he was out of the picture. Uh, The Rizzuto organization was uh, destabilized by a, a, an investigation called Project Colise. So by 2009, most of its leaders were behind bars. And then you had these these small groups that had always worked with uh, the Rizzutos, kind of vying for power. To add to the mix, you had a guy coming in from the U.S., this guy who was uh, an interim leader of the Banano family, Salvatore mm-hmm. Montagna. He got uh, deported, or yeah, deported here to Montreal because uh, he wasn't an American citizen. He really decided to uh, to take over the Montreal Mafia. He tried to gather all those groups together under one umbrella. It didn't work. Salvatore Montagna got killed, and then 
Vito Rizzuto came back and things got very strange, very complex. Some of the groups that were vying for power were obviously em enemies of the Rizzutos. Uh, Scopa, Andrea Scopa seemed to gravitate back to Vito Rizzuto. And, uh, but then when Vito Rizzuto died in 2013, it's very clear that Scopa was uh, not impressed with the leadership that was put in place after Vito Rizzuto died. And, and Vito Rizzuto put that leadership in place himself. He, hand, he knew he was going to die of cancer. He handpicked who the leaders would be. Andrea Scopa apparently just did not respect them. He was caught on, on wiretaps mocking them. The leaders. He, he called it the uh, the grappa table because they apparently like to drink grappa too much. He's he's kind of this lone wolf since 2013. He's kind of been this lone wolf. I would say he's he's this guy who's been reluctant to take leadership. He he was caught on tape saying, "I don't want to be the boss. The boss uh, the boss has to hang," which was interpreted as to mean uh, the boss has to solve problems. He he's a very he was a very impatient man. He was a very impulsive man. While he was the leader of a small group within the mafia, I don't think he ever really wanted to take charge of the whole group. Now you say was. What happened to Andrea Scopa? On Monday, he was uh, at a um, standing near a strip mall, or arrived at a strip mall in a, in the West Island, a very quiet part of the Montreal Island. He uh, apparently he trained at a gym there. Uh, I, I was told by a source that he, if you wanted to find Andrea Scopa, that's the place to, to find him. Everyone knew that he went there uh, almost every morning. He loved to train uh, in gyms, and apparently that there was a gym there that was his recent choice of gyms. Uh, so if, if someone wanted to whack him, they, they knew where to find him. It was apparently quite easy to, to know his schedule. This gunman uh, approached him, apparently got right up in front of him and, and shot him in the face, which is uh, within the, the mafia circles, that's kind of a, a special message. It's, um, you know, you often hear about it in, in movies and TV shows, you know, the guy uh, can't have an open casket uh, funeral. It's uh, quite an insult within the milieu, but it's um, like a Antonio Nicasso, an expert I interviewed yesterday, he, he made the point that you, what you also do is you take away that person's, the person's identity. If when people gather to mourn the victim, um, you won't be able to see him. It's it's a it's a very serious thing in in mafia circles, and it, it seems to be whoever did it, they were intended to send a message saying uh, this is personal, this is revenge, this isn't about this isn't about some drug debt or something. This is yeah. something personal. So uh, that that appears to be what what happened. So this was this happened like in broad daylight outside a gym where he was exercising and he like he's found dead shot in the face in the parking lot eight o'clock on one of the busiest roads in the west island probably the busiest road in the west Island. a lot of people coming and going to work uh must have been quite a shock when people started to realize what had happened i, I don't know how loud the gunshot was or whether, whether there were many gunshots but uh it must have been quite startling when people on going to, on their way to work it, it's a the the road is like a the main roadway out of the West Island um, towards all the highways. Uh, people at 8 a.m. heading off to, on their way to work must have been shocked to later learn that uh, the guy who was lying dead in that parking lot was uh, the head of a clan in the Montreal Mafia. The, what, what is more shocking in this case, it, what is very shocking in this case, I should say, is that it came just five days after the Surete Quebec here did a major press conference and announced that they had solved four mafia-related homicides that, that were all committed in 2016. 
And in that press conference, they they said, they stated that Salvatore Scopa, Andrea Scopa's brother, uh, was believed to have orchestrated those four, those four homicides. And what's significant there is that two of those men who were killed in 20, in 2016 were, were, were leaders. There's no doubt about it. They were leaders in the, in the Rizzuto organization. It looks like at least, at the very least, Andrea Scopa's brother, Salvatore, had a serious problem with the uh, Rizzuto organization and took out two of its leaders. And to, to refresh uh, people's memories, uh, I'd spoken on a podcast uh, about this early in May, earlier this year, um, Salvatore Scopa was murdered at a, a hotel in Laval in quite a shocking homicide there. Yeah, and I, we, you and I spoke about that, as you mentioned on an earlier episode of this podcast, very brazen public shooting of Salvatore Scopa. So it, is there a sense that the killing of Andrea is retaliation for his brother's orchestration of these four killings in 2016? What some people are saying, something might have been realized last week that removed any obstacle. That yeah, Like a hit like this, I would argue that Andrea Scopa was a made guy, that he was a made guy within the mafia, and, and you don't kill someone who is a made guy without permission from other people. Perhaps something came out of whatever the police announced last week. And I'm just speculating here. I'm, I'm putting together a chronology through what was announced last week, through whatever might have been divulged to people. Perhaps that removed any doubt that they had that maybe Andrea Scopa was also involved. Mm -hmm. And it also removed any obstacles that were preventing people from from killing Andrea Scopa. And, and they just didn't seem to get along uh, Andrea Scopa's clan, the, or Andrea Scopa himself, uh, as a, an expert I spoke to yesterday, he's a, he's a, he's a man on his own. They use the expression in French, un, un bande à part. He's, he's like a, a lone wolf, basically. But he has people working under him. But during a, a major cocaine uh, trafficking investigation, he, um, he, was common, he, he would often mock the, uh, the Rizzuto organizations, especially while it was being under attack, while, while in fact those, those homicides were happening in 2015, 2016. We'll be right back, but first, here's the trailer for The Dark North. Who are you? The guy that's going to make you eat out of a straw for six months if you don't go pay him. I'm Paul Cherry, a crime reporter at the Montreal Gazette, and this is The Dark North, a new podcast about crime in Canada. This is season one, Gangs of Montreal. Montreal is probably the capital of organized crime in North America. We had the biggest players in Montreal. How do I come to this conclusion? It's very, very simple. Money. Ever since Vito Rizzuto, the Canadian Mafia godfather, died six years ago, Montreal's gangs have been fighting for power. It's not clear who's going to come out on top. We'll explore the bloody rise and fall of the Rizzuto crime organization, the arrival of the Hells Angels motorcycle gang, and the homicidal biker war that rocked Quebec. He fired seven shots at me. I was hit six times. You know, most of the public they have this romantic view of the mafia because they see the movies, they see guys sitting around with, with $5,000 suits talking elegantly, and that's not the way it is. Believe me, this is not the movies, and this is not the way these guys really are. This is, you know, 
This is real life. They are a dangerous plague on, on our society. Police say they are ruthless criminals who will stop at nothing to get what they want. More money. If you are the king, you got power. You have a lot of money, you got power. And with that money and power, you can do particularly what you want to do anything to anyone. The Dark North launches November 4th. Subscribe now for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you have two brothers, both murdered in very public fashions, very violently. What are experts saying about the possibility of further bloodshed? And I guess the level of concern there is for public safety as this escalates. Well, there's been a long uh, struggle uh, for people to take over the the Mafia in Montreal. a lot of people thought that calmed down somewhat after after 2016. The people who were were killed uh, afterwards, you could say it's, it, it might have been part of minor skirmishes within within the Montreal Mafia. But um, it seemed, for the most part, that the the, the battle had been over uh, and that there was a calmness uh, that was actually settling in. As one expert I spoke to yesterday said, this this is a sign that no, it's not over. Uh, revenge within that milieu revenge never goes cold it, it, it never expires it um people do have a deep, people do remember things they they don't forget if they've taken out someone as high up as Andreas Kobel, there there might be a reply and there there's there's still some dust that needs to be settled uh, within the milieu according to these experts and according to even police or people working on the streets uh, that there's a couple of guys within the mafia who might be looking over their shoulders because let's say if Andrea Scopa and Salvatore Scopa were killed because they took out leaders of the Rizzuto organization, there are a couple of guys who also might be worried that they are also going to be held accountable. Let's, let's put it that way. So who is the leadership of the Rizzuto organization right now? When, in, when the, the police made a series of arrests in 2015, the two leaders uh, were who were identified as the leaders of the the two men who were identified as the leaders of the Rizzuto organization were Stefano Salicito, that's Rocco Salicito's son, mm-hmm. and and Leonardo Rizzuto, uh, who is also who is Vito Rizzuto's son. They were charged. The uh, cases the the case against both of them were tossed out because of uh, illegal wiretaps made inside a lawyer's office. And a specific case against uh, Leonardo Rizzuto was also tossed out because of, uh, you could argue that the search warrant carried out at his house where they found guns and and cocaine, that it was tainted by those wiretaps inside the lawyer's office. So neither of them was were convicted. Both, uh, both are, are free men. And uh, let's put it this way, I haven't heard any differently as to who's in charge of the Rizzuto organization. And Getting off in in a high profile case, I think, could only have uh, have uh, boosted their uh, their reputation in that milieu. Now, earlier listeners got a taste of a trailer promoting your new podcast, The Dark North. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what uh, listeners can expect from the series? 
we look back at the the past four decades of organized crime uh, in Montreal, and why did we do that? We we looked at you know who dominated organized crime over the over that time period, and some thing that I always I always found neat is that within just weeks of each other, back in December 1977 and January 1978, both the mafia Montreal mafia the, or the Rizzuto organization took over the Montreal mafia. And at the same time, and just weeks earlier, the Hells Angels established them, themselves in Montreal. They were the first chapter ever established in Canada. And from there, that's where we, that's our starting point for the podcast series. And we go from there and, and we check in back and forth on those two groups, but we also delve into uh, a lot of other organized crime groups like street gangs in Montreal, the West End gang, and a few other uh, organized crime gangs. But the main focus is basically how the Hells Angels and the Mafia evolved, how they eventually started to work together, and how they, uh, well, it, we go into uh, very recent developments among those two groups uh, in the past, let's say, five years. Awesome. Well, I'll definitely look forward to listening to that whole series. Paul, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Additional production from David Rudin. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Paul Cherry. Don't forget to subscribe to The Dark North wherever you get your audio. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.